Hey everyone, it's Joel B. This is a podcast for reviewing some of the content discussed in my ethics classes. If you're one of my students, welcome. And if you're not one of my students, it's great to have you here. I hope you stick around for more. Sufficientarianism is a view about what sorts of economic conditions in society are morally objectionable and merit some sort of intervention. Roughly, the sufficientarian is going to say something like this. Inequality itself is not what's morally concerning. What's morally concerning is deprivation. There's a famous quote by the philosopher Harry Frankfurt where he says something like this, quote, what is important from the moral point of view is not that everyone should have the same, but that each should have enough. If everyone had enough, it would be of no moral consequence whether some had more than others. Frankfurt has another paper with the really interesting title, The Moral Irrelevance of Equality. And, um, We read an excerpt from it in class, and I just want to read a part of it that I think is really interesting. He says this, Being worse off than someone else is entirely compatible with being extremely well off. What is inferior to another thing may nonetheless be excellent. What is not the best is by no means necessarily unsatisfactory or inadequate. We do not ordinarily feel sorry for people who have plenty or suppose that they are victims of wickedness just because there are people who have, just because there are people who have even more. He says, it seems to me that when this is kept in mind, it no longer appears to be so obvious that having inferior life prospects must necessarily be evil. The idea here is that when we look out across society and we see all these massive inequalities, we shouldn't think that the inequality is what's morally concerning. Rather, the sufficientarian tells us that what we should think is concerning is the presence of deprivation. For example, poverty. Poverty is a form of deprivation. Or perhaps healthcare needs and inadequate access to good healthcare, perhaps inadequate access to education, perhaps inadequate access to housing, resulting in housing insecurity. These are the sorts of things that we should be concerned about. Inequality is a gap between people, and the sufficientarian tells us that that gap is not itself morally concerning. It's, it's, it's really irrelevant. Rather, look at the people who are on the lower end of that gap. How are they doing? And if they're in this state of deprivation, then that's what's concerning. Sufficientarians care a lot about this thing I'll call the sufficiency threshold. They invite you to imagine that there's this, there's this point, this, this threshold, where if, if you're above that, then you're living a flour- flourishing life. You have adequate resources and goods to live a meaningful life. And you can fill in the details any way you'd like. Sufficientarians need not be committed to any exact story about what living above the threshold looks like. But just to fill in some details, maybe it looks like having adequate housing and a good job with a livable wage, good health care and good benefits, um, having wealth and income and being able to survive economic adversity, you know, like some people are plummeted, plummeted into poverty 
whenever there's an economic downturn. And that's like a that's not a that's not a place of flourishing to be in. And so maybe this threshold is this place of economic security such that you're able to live a flourishing life. You have adequate resources and goods. That threshold is really what matters. <clears throat> if people are living below that in society, that's morally concerning. But imagine that everyone's above it. The sufficientarian is going to ask us, why should we be concerned that there's any inequality after that, given that everyone's living above this threshold of flourishing? Now, it's not enough to just ask that question. It's not enough to just say that that's all that matters. The sufficientarian has to argue for this position. And they have at least two arguments that they can give on behalf of their view. The first one that we considered in class is called the <clears throat> deprivation argument. So what they do is they ask you to look at any inequality that you find problematic or that, you know, as a culture or a society, we tend to find problematic, any economic inequality we find problematic and ask yourself, why do we actually, why do we actually find it problematic? And the, the sufficientarian is going to point out something. For any economic inequality that seems objectionable, notice that probably there's poverty related to it. There's deprivation associated with it. There is healthcare deprivation associated with it or some other form of really important deprivation. So for example, in the United States, there is a massive inequality. Um, you know, it's something like the top 1% own more wealth than like the 60% and below. And some people are like, look, that is really problematic. And the sufficientarian is going to say, yeah, but notice that in that same world, there's a lot of poverty. America experiences a lot of poverty. America has very terrible healthcare outcomes. People have a lot of debt related to healthcare, but America has very poor performance in terms of healthcare um, measures. And so keep doing this, like point to any inequality around the world and notice that the, well, the sufficientarian is going to tell you, notice that there's either poverty or some sort of deprivation or some sort of adversity associated with it. And that's what's concerning. So if every time you point to an inequality and you say, yeah, that seems, seems morally objectionable. And what you notice is that there, there are people who are impoverished in that inequality, then that suggests that it's the poverty itself or the deprivation itself that really matters. The second argument is is pretty interesting and pretty clever, and a lot of you seemed really moved by it in class. It's called the abundance argument. Just imagine a society with two classes, just two classes, the billionaires and the millionaires. This is These are the two income brackets. There's no one beneath that. There's no one above that. And the billionaires, they live very lavish lives in mansions, and they drive Teslas and so on. The millionaires, on the other hand, they don't have mansions, but they have really big houses. They have their pools and so on. And they drive Rolls Royces. They get to go on their vacations. They have all sorts of goods. They have really good health care and investments and can send their kids to college and so on. And when you think about that society, the sufficientarian says, like intuitively, there's nothing morally concerning about that. And, and, and they, they hope that you're going to feel the same way. And that is supposed to confirm their view because the sufficientarian can explain why this imaginary society, despite having a massive inequality, I mean, just think about that. The gap between being a billionaire and a millionaire is pretty big. That That's still not very concerning when you think about it. And the reason it seems is because everyone's doing really well. And the sufficientarian can 
can, can make sense of that because the sufficientarian says that what's concerning isn't the inequality. What's concerning is deprivation. And this society doesn't have deprivation. So these are some reasons to think that sufficientarianism is true. Now, I just want to be cautious here. The sufficientarian does not necessarily think that no other inequalities are morally concerning. The sufficientarian can agree, for example, that if an inequality is caused by historic injustice, then we need to ameliorate or rectify that inequality. Even an inequality where you know, the people who are on the lower end of that inequality are doing well enough or they're above the, the sufficiency threshold. You can imagine a historic injustice that really harms a group but still leaves them in economic good standing. They still have adequate housing, adequate income, good jobs, adequate access to education, and so on. And nevertheless, the fact that the inequality was produced by injustice might lead the sufficientarian to say, yeah, so that's a bad inequality. What the sufficientarian is trying to say, though, is that when you set that kind of case aside, then you shouldn't think that the inequality is inherently problematic. Sure, inequality can be problematic because of what causes it, and perhaps inequalities can cause other other concerning things. And, you know, in a previous podcast, I talk about um, this issue. But what the sufficientarian is really trying to say is that inequality, especially economic inequality, is not inherently problematic. What is problematic is deprivation and inadequate access to a flourishing life. But when people have that, then we shouldn't say that any subsequent inequality is morally concerning. So the idea is like once you can get a society where people are living above the, the sufficiency threshold, they're living flourishing lives, let inequality go as far as you'd like. That gap can get as big as you want because what matters is that everyone is living a successful flourishing life. Before I conclude, why might someone reject sufficientarianism? Well, you could reject sufficientarianism on two grounds. You could object to both of the arguments for sufficientarianism. And there are different ways of doing that. I won't go into those um, details here. What I want to do is give you an argument for thinking that even in a world where everyone has enough and has adequate, that there might still be something inherently problematic about inequality. So to do this, I'm going to turn to a philosopher named Larry Temkin. And he has this thought experiment that he wants you to consider. So he talks about um, his two daughters, Andrea and Becky. Andrea and Becky. Now, suppose that Andrea is a little bit better off than Becky in all of the categories that matter. And Andrea is also well off in all of the other categories. So she's just like, in general, Andrea is better off than Becky in, in almost every way. For example, Andrea is smarter, has more rewarding friendships, will live longer, and so on. We could add that she like, you know, has a better house or has better income and so on. And suppose that the difference between Andrea and Becky is just a matter of blind luck. Neither Andrea nor Becky has done anything to deserve their different fortunes. Okay, so Andrea and Becky, both doing really well. They both have really good lives, but for just pure pure chance, pure happenstance, Andrea is living a slightly better life than Becky. And he goes on to say, Temkin goes on to say this, to make the example simple and clean, imagine that Andrea's incredibly good fortune even extends to the most trivial of matters. She is, in a word, just plain lucky in everything she does. Now, 
Here is one way in which she is lucky. Every time she goes for her weekly walk, she finds a $20 bill. She's not looking for money. She's not taking particular routes where she thinks you know, money might be falling out of rich people's pockets or anything like that. It's just blind luck. So you have to like really throw yourself into this very fictitious world where like $20 bills are just sort of being blown in her direction, but it's all pure luck. Now, Temkin says for someone as well off as she is in terms of what truly matters in life, finding $20 a week <clears throat> doesn't really make much of a real difference to her life. But it's still a perk and there's something thrilling about it. And it inevitably brightens her day and brings a smile to her face. Becky, on the other hand, doesn't have that kind of luck. Remember, Becky lives a really good life. But when she goes on walks, she doesn't have $20 bills blow across her path. Um, She even walks more regularly than Andrea, and she takes similar roads. But nonetheless, no money is blown her way. And it's all pure luck. Finally, Temkin says, let us suppose that Andrea never mentions the money that she finds, not because she is hiding it from anyone, but because it never it never comes up. So Becky isn't the least bit envious. So he's trying to get rid of all these um, factors. Okay, let's go to, to the point Temkin's trying to make with this thought experiment. He says, suppose I knew all of this to be the case and I was out walking with my two daughters. If I was walking down the path, and saw $20 floating towards Andrea, I would think it would be better if a sudden gust of wind arose and blew it towards Becky instead so that she could finally have that wonderful pleasure of finding money on a walk. More generally, I would want additional new benefits to go to Becky rather than Andrea to make up for the fact that Andrea was already destined to be better off than Becky over the course of her life. So, if you share Temkin's intuition that it would be it would be better for some of these $20 bills to be blown towards Becky and that there's something unfair, something morally unfair and morally objectionable about the fact that Becky is less fortunate for no fault of her own, then according to Temkin, that intuition, that conclusion supports thinking that some types of inequalities are inherently morally objectionable, even if everyone involved is doing really well. And this leads him to endorse a view called um, egalitarianism or what's called luck egalitarianism. You don't need to know about that. But the idea is just this. According to some philosophers, inequalities can be inherently bad when some people are worse off through no fault of their own. And Temkin's going to say, look, in this thought experiment, both Becky and Andrea are doing really well. They, they're thriving. They're above the sufficiency threshold, whatever you think that is. But Becky is just a, a little bit worse off, and it's purely accident. It's purely by chance, purely by luck. Andrea didn't do anything to earn that. Becky didn't do anything to deserve that. And that just seems morally concerning. So if you share Temkin's intuition, that's reason to think that inequalities are morally objectionable, even if everyone's doing really well off. Okay, I'm going to leave you there. And I hope that this issue is causing you to really think and reflect about what sorts of inequalities in the world are morally objectionable and worth intervening on. So what do you think? Is this sufficientarian right? Or are you not convinced yet? It's a really interesting issue, and I look forward to thinking about it more with you later. See ya. See ya.